Welcome, everyone, to this latest edition of Wallet Talks podcast, where we are having conversations about money so that it's more normalized so we can make better decisions with our money. I'm joined by two beautiful ladies, one being my wife here. She's a co-host, Tiffany Alexander and Kenita Smith. Yes. And Kenita Smith is the founder of our Metro Atlanta nonprofit that we've been partnering with over the past year and a half, where we help provide um, financial coaching to its participants. And HOPE um, is an acronym for helping other people be empowered. We were introduced to to Kanita and Hope through a church member at an event that we were being a vendor. And so we're glad to have her on this call and we're glad to have her on this podcast. And we invite you to listen in more as you learn about this organization that helps single working parents successfully pursue and obtain an education. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome, Kanita. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. Ah, yes. It's been almost two years we've been working together, right? Yeah. In two years that we've been working I, together. I can't believe it's that. It's been longer, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we have, uh, you know, your participants, we have up to 20 or something like that that you haven't, that you uh, have helped or, well, as I get into, let's get into what is HOPE all about? Like how many participants you have? How many have you helped? Just get into that for us a little bit. And also what kind of led you to actually form HOPE? Okay. So as she said, as Tiffany said, HOPE stands for helping other people be empowered. And it's really just based off of my own personal life story. I was a single parent in college. I had my first son at the age of 21, a sophomore in college at Clark Atlanta. And originally I wanted to become a doctor. My goal was to major in biology and be a pediatrician. When I learned I was pregnant, I realized, okay, me and residency and being a single parent may not be the best look. So I thought, what's the next best career? And I figured that that would be nurse practitioner. So Mm -hmm. I got into the Georgia State Nursing Program first try. And the Georgia State Nursing Program is a three-year BSN program, very rigorous. They don't care if you have childcare. They don't care if you can pay your bills. They don't want you to work more than 20 hours a week. Mm. And I had gotten through pretty much to my junior year after having my son. But I realized really quickly that there was not a lot of assistance for single parents that work and go to school. In Mm. fact, when I tried to get CAPS assistance from the government, I was denied because I was told I was going to a four-year college. But if I was going to receive a diploma or a certificate, I would get the childcare assistance I needed. So long story short, I ended up not finishing that nursing degree. I got all the way up to my junior year, found out I was pregnant with my second son. Mm -hmm. And the professors asked me to pretty much sit out a semester. But at that time, I was living in based on income housing in downtown Atlanta that was not safe. That was all I could afford and keep my children with me. Mm -hmm. And I just needed to get out. I was like, I have one year left. I just need to get done with school. And I refused to sit out. But after I had my son, I ended up having a setback because I went right into clinicals, right back to school, didn't give myself enough time for my body to heal. So I had to sit out because they don't allow you to be in a nursing program with restrictions. Mm. But I decided, well, you know what? I'm going to switch my major to business administration and concentrate in healthcare because nursing classes are good for five years and I can always go back and finish. 
So I finished my bachelor's degree in actually 10 years because I switched my major a couple of times Mm -hmm. and had to go through battling some of that setback and sickness I had. Um, Once I did complete that bachelor's degree, I did get accepted uh, a position at a hospice company where I was in administration, moved up fairly quickly from coordinator to office manager to um, assistant executive director in training, had three satellite offices under me and about 150 employees. Mm -hmm. Many of them were single parent women, CNAs going to school for nursing Mm -hmm. or ASN nurses going to school for BSN nursing. So I constantly had to mentor people because they'd be asking me, how did you finish school? How did you do it? Um, So I came up with this program one day, sitting in my office wondering, okay, what is it that I can do every day and not get paid for it? Because after I put out the fires here, I'm pretty bored, right? Mm. <laughs> so I thought about it and I said, you know what? I am a giver. I've always been a giver. I have given people shoes off of my feet before. I just mm. am that kind of person. So I thought of this program to help single parents, wrote it all up. Didn't know the first thing about nonprofits, starting a nonprofit, donors or anything. But I gave the write up to a doctor friend of mine who I worked with. And I said, what do you think about this? And he said, you have to start it. And I'll mm-hmm. give you seed money to do the 501c3. So I learned how to fill out the paperwork. We got approved from the IRS in about three months from me filling out that paperwork. And the rest is history. I took a couple of years to get the infrastructure together. And that was 2009. And we're 12 years later now. Wow. So fast forward to now. Um, I did not have any, as I said, nonprofit experience, no donors, no grants, didn't know where the money was coming from. But what I did have was a business background and some corporate knowledge as to how to grow a business. And I just applied what I knew in corporate America to the nonprofit world, so to speak, with a little, with a few tweaks here and there. Um, so I knew to get the infrastructure together, like I mentioned, we went from accepting four participants. We did a small fundraiser with friends and family, took that cash, put it back into the organization and helped four participants. That grew from to now helping from four to we just accepted our 100th participant um, two weeks ago. Congratulations. So we've now served 12 years later, 100 participants, 227 children, and we have an 82% graduation rate within our program, currently 24 participants within our program. So it grew organically and we grew it slowly as I learned and as I got more familiar with what it takes um, to build a nonprofit. Um, So that's the nonprofit side of things, but there were things that I did notice that needed to happen when I did start the program, what I felt Mm -hmm. like single parents really needed. And that's what I felt like really empowered them. There are a lot of single parent programs out there that will have a parenting class for you every week, Mm -hmm. that will have financial training for you every week. But the bottom line is, and they may even have one-time emergency assistance, but what single parents in college really need is an ongoing financial assistance to supplement income because they can't work enough to cover the basic needs. Mm -hmm. So even if I, I give you rent for one month, you're still going to be in the same situation next month because you just don't make enough period to make ends meet with a market value rent. Mm-hmm. Dorms, even for single parents, cost more than market value rent. So mm-hmm. the colleges aren't prepared to help the single parents. And even the child care that's on site 
it's the same amount as the child care that's offsite. So if you don't live on campus or near campus, why are you gonna drive all the way to campus to take your child to that child care that's gonna cost the same amount as the child care down the street? Mm-hmm. So it's all these dynamics that a lot of organizations may not have been able to support or thought of that I did think of, mm-hmm. which differentiates hope from everyone else. So we empower our participants because we give them the financial assistance they need ongoing. We give them rent assistance up to $400 a month. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna give you $125 when your rent is $1,200. So we give you $400 a month, which is, we feel a significant amount to kind of help make a difference. We also will give childcare up to $400 a month and it's not and or, it's if they need both, they get both. Mm-hmm. If they need one or the other, then they get one or the other. In addition to that service, we offer some outside supportive service that help them to take what we give them and make it beneficial, um, which is what you know we offer with you guys with the financial training, helping them to know how to take their budget and their spending and curve that because most of us didn't learn that from mom and dad because mom and dad didn't know it. So we're teaching it to us now. We also offer counseling services to them and their children because mental health is important when it comes to academic success. So they may have gone through early divorces and the children may have gone through those divorces. There may have been domestic violence, things of that nature that have caused them to be stifled Mm -hmm. in life as well as academically. When we do this holistic approach with the financial, with the training, um, financial training and financial assistance and also with the counseling, then that helps bridge the gap for them and they're not needing to go to five and six different organizations Mm -hmm. to get the help they need. And then lastly, we have a social service component where let's say they need something that is not within our core service. Um, For example, many of our participants have come to us with vehicle problems Mm -hmm. and we don't give them a car, right? Mm -hmm. But we have partners that will give them a car and they will give them a car without requiring any money normally. But since the pandemic, they may have to have a little down payment now. Gotcha. But it's still a whole car in great condition as opposed to paying five or $600 a month in a car note, depending on what their credit is. Yeah. Um, so we do things like that. If they need donations for school, clothes, mm-hmm. or anything like that, we'll help provide the resource for them whether it's a connection to a partner we have or donors providing that for them so that they really can just focus on the goal, which is to graduate. And that's really what we want to see. That's our overall goal is to increase the number of single parent graduates in our community, period. I love that. That's awesome. I love that. I mean, I know we've been working together for two years. When I was writing down a list of things that you were providing, I was like, wait, I didn't know about that. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, I knew about the vehicle part and, uh, and of course, the housing and, and the childcare, because that's something we discuss in but that mental health our though, is definitely yeah, important definitely, too. Exactly. Uh, uh-huh. It's not as taboo as it was before to talk about. I don't know if is everybody still actively taking it, taking advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a sidebar. So, uh, wow, that is. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. that you kind of covered through there. Um, I just want to ask then with that, all of those different services that you do provide and the, con- and the circumstances of the single parent going to school and work, what has been some of your challenges you face as an organization to execute on what you are trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. 
I would say initially, right, with any new nonprofit starting up, whether you know what you're doing or don't know what you're doing, the initial challenge is going to be funding getting the community awareness out there, making sure that people know that you're a credible and legitimate organization. So you have to build a successful track record. Yeah. And how do you build that track record with no funding? Mm -hmm. So you have to find creative ways to fund your program. And for me, I was not afraid to start small. So if I needed to start with four people, I, I kept it at four people. Mm -hmm. And as the cash grew, I grew it and I grew the number. And I was never afraid to admit, hey, we help just 10 people a year mm -hmm. because that's what we can case manage. That's what we can afford. And as we put that effort into them, our success track record grew. And that brought us credibility. Now, that's from an operation side. From a program side, you also have to show credibility with the colleges that you're wanting to partner with in, in our situations. Uh, with the different organizations that you want to partner with, community partners, as well as corporate partners. So we had to take that track record of four or 10 people and say, even though we started off small, this is how much we've grown financially and this is how much our program has grown. And we measure their success every year annually through surveys. And this is how we measure, we had three objective goals that we had um, that we would measure. Um, number one, if they would graduate within six years, because a, a student that didn't have responsibility, that wasn't a single parent, they graduated normally within six years. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was our goal to make sure that our single parents, that it didn't take them six to 15 years that the statistics told us it took them, mm -hmm. um, that it would only take them six years if we brought them this help. And we've had 100% um, success rate with that. Awesome. So we were able to share that. The other thing we look at is their financial stability over a period of five years. So after they leave our program, we track them annually for five years to see what their income is, what their savings are. If they purchased a home, have they increased um, in their degree? Maybe they got a graduate degree, a master's degree. Um, has their credit score continued to increase from the time that they started in our program? And we track that annually for five years. So we were able to give actual data in addition to a story saying, hey, you know, on average, our participants have increased their credit scores by 100% mm -hmm. from being in our program, or they've increased their annual income by $25,000 on average from being mm -hmm. in our program. Once we were able to show them that we had actual data, as well as a good track record with our participants going through the program and graduating, we didn't have many people dropping out. Mm -hmm. um, that helped solidify us with the colleges and they start referring, referring more students to us. So I think the challenge overall is just getting your name out and establishing the credibility from both the program side as well as the organization side. For every organization, there's always gonna be funding. So you're always trying to find new funding opportunities out there and build those relationships so that those that funding can come in and you can further the program. But as long as you have a good plan, strategy plan about how to do that and you recognize what the weakness is and the strengths that you, your organization has and in the phase that you're in, then you'll be able to, to accomplish it. But it's just a matter of knowing where you are in your program as well as in your operations. Kenita, I, I am just getting more and more admiring your, your accomplishments. And I'm just thinking like, okay, you started, you didn't really know about nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Were you scared at any time? Like, describe the moments of growing that that growing pain for 12 years 
Yeah. Um, so back in 2009 was a rough time for me personally. Mm-hmm. I was married and my late husband was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And this had been at the time his third reoccurrence. And I was starting a new nonprofit mm-hmm. with him, but I did not work at this time. I, didn't, I needed to put all my focus in to what I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm the type of person, I don't do anything halfway. If I'm, when I went natural, I went and did the big chop because I can't be transitioned from the curl <laughs> to the straight. I just, either I'm gonna do it or I'm not gonna do it. So um, I, in my mind, I felt like there was never a thought that I wouldn't do it. I just didn't know if I was doing it right. Mm-hmm. Because again, I didn't have the nonprofit experience. So I'm like, you know, am I applying this correctly? Am I reaching out to the right community partners? Am I aligning myself with the right people? And I'm a woman of faith, so I believe in prayer. And prayer really got me through because I believe the Holy Spirit led me and guided me through the whole thing. Mm. And he led me to a mentor because I thought one day, you know what? I need to find somebody that's doing similar work, that's successful, that's been doing this for over 20 years. And Mm. there was an organization actually up the street called Rainbow Village. Mm. And I reached out to the CEO there several times and then she finally accepted my call and she agreed to meet with me and I sat with her and I'll never forget this meeting because it was so profound I was telling her what I was doing what my strategic plan was where we were and we were about three years old at this point and I was at the point of thinking either we're going to make it or we're not because mm. I, I just didn't see any other way it was like a fork in a row and she looked at me and she looked me dead in my eye I'll never forget it and this was an older white lady, never met her before in my life. And she said, Kanita, you are further along with Hope at three years old than I was with Rainbow Village wow. at three years old. And she had just completed a $3 million campaign. So she had just built a whole campus of homes on their campus, a community center, very well known and respected in the community. And here she was telling me that I'm further than she was at three years old. And she already had the setup. I mean, she was hired into the organization. She didn't set it up from the ground up like I did. And that fueled me. Um, She agreed to mentor me every year. So every year I would go into her office and give her my plan and tell her my strategy and talk to her about who I was reaching out to. And she would write little letters of credibility for me to Mm -hmm. foundations that gave her money to say, hey, if you're looking for a new organization, a new mission to help that's on the rise and doing great things, support Hope Inc., support Kanita, I vouch for her, you're welcome to come to our office. She shared her office space with us and we still go there now for meetings. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the pivotal point, but it was a lot of uncertainty about what I did know. And I learned through talking with a lot of people that were in the industry, that um, I actually knew a lot more than I thought just from thinking critically and thinking as a business person. Mm -hmm. And the way I approached it helped it to become more successful. Um, But I did find out quite ironic that the nonprofit sector is very competitive. So Mm -hmm. you think if we're all here to help each other, Mm -hmm. we'll be willing to help each other. But that's not the case. There's money out there for, for you, but people are competing for the same dollars. Mm-hmm. So sometimes executives want to help you and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. And I found that out the hard way from trying to grab some of these 
best practices from people Mm -hmm. um, and and mentors and things like that. And so I just kind of stuck with who I, who I ended up connecting with Mm -hmm. and just grew. And now people come to me for the mentorship or the connection and I have the ability to give back to them and not necessarily turn them away. Like I was turned away when I was trying to figure it out. You're not going to be stingy with your blessing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to help you up. <laughs> I'm going to help you. Yeah. I mean, when I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, she got Rainbow Village and they was willing to give the, you know, the nuggets. And mm-hmm. you was like, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. That's like straight competition. But I'm glad you, you went through that. And I like how you described it because for those who are out there who are trying to pursue like a business or a project, what I take away is, if you have it in your gut to do it, just go ahead and do it. Don't worry about how necessarily to mm-hmm. do it. Just do it. And but also you had that a moment where you were humble enough to say, you know what? I need someone else to guide me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that you use prayer and, and to help you along the way. So I'm I'm inspired and inspired to share with like, hey, guys, this is a, a framework. Mm-hmm. And the approach that you can take for any endeavors that you are, are thinking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you talked about, you know, going through this experience where you had the help, you know, what, what are some of the Im- impactful lessons that you learned throughout that process or even now as you're going through? Um, the first thing I learned very early on is that best practices for everyone else may not necessarily be your best practice. Mm. So definitely look at everyone's best practices, but it's going to come a time where you're going to have to look at your small organization or your startup business and say, what's going to work for me. Mm. And I had to come into a very humble experience with that because I was shelling out money for grant writers and people that and strategists and people that I thought, oh, well, you know, these are well-respected in the community. I need to give them money to help me. What they did was leave me out of money mm. and still in the same place. But what I found out was I came across one lady that was a grant writer who I wanted to hire. And she was an African-American woman and she, she looked at some of my writing and she said, can you, you know, you got to get grant ready first. She said, but you can write. So how about you take my focus group for free Mm -hmm. and I'll show you how to write grants. And I took her focus group and I wrote our first grant template and we got (laughs) $15,000. Every time I write a grant, we get money. So now fast forward 12 years later, we've gotten over $220,000 in grants that I've written. But whenever I pay someone to write a grant for us, we never got money. So is it the passion? Is it because I knew kind of how to work? I don't know. But because she took the time to teach me how to write, and to this day, she used me as a success story for Mm -hmm. her students. Because I got my first grant at two and a half years. Most foundations won't fund you until you're at least three years old, and they find you a risk even then. Mm -hmm. But I got our first grant at two and a half. But everyone will tell you, oh, you need this grant writer, or you need that. You need to get grant ready, then start applying for grants and building relationships. Mm-hmm. And that'll help you get the money. But these are things that I didn't learn from doing my best practice research. Mm-hmm. So like I said, find out what works for you. And then you apply that to your business plan and you do that. The other thing I learned is that you don't have to partner with everybody to be credible or successful. 
Mm -hmm. At first, you'll start out um, and everyone will want to partner with you and you want to partner with everyone. You know, oh, let's partner here. We can help with your services. But what you find is that you only have a handful of true, real mutual partnerships Mm -hmm. where you benefit and they benefit. Mm -hmm. The rest is just, you know, by name. Nothing really going, nothing going back and forth, no services being exchanged, no collaborations on grant funding or anything like that. Um, and that's, it's a lot of that in a nonprofit world. So mm. I would say, don't be eager to just accept every community partnership that comes your way when you're starting out, just because you're small doesn't mean you need it. Mm. Make sure you find services that match and are like-minded that you can basically partner so you don't have to replicate, right? Mm-hmm. But you still get some, some credit for that, mm-hmm. you know, service. And it takes your organization further. But you really have to strategize with this whole thing. And then lastly, I will say, which leads me to my last point, you have to have a plan. So Mm -hmm. if you go in here and like, I'm going to start a nonprofit Mm -hmm. because this is what I love to do and I'm passionate and you think I'm going to get grants and people are going to give me money. A lot of people feel like as soon as they get the 501c3, I'm going to get a grant. And that's not true. You still, like I said, you have an incubation period of at least three years with foundations. But even at three years, they find you risky. So they want to see how are you funding your mission without any grants, you know, without us funding you. Mm. If you haven't figured out how you're going to reach out to the community, what fundraising plan you're going to have, you know, the growth that you need for your organization, as well as for your program in the community, then you don't have anything to offer them. You have nothing Mm. to put in your proposal. You have nothing to put in in a business plan to corporations. You don't have anything to offer. Um, So I feel like you have to plan. And I almost feel like people need to do a strategy plan before they even consider doing the paperwork for a 501c3 because you have to know strengths, weaknesses, competition. You know, if there's other organizations doing what you're doing, what's going to differentiate you? Mm-hmm. You should just just link up with that organization, become a board member or a volunteer and still get the same outcome for mm-hmm. yourself personally if you're not going to offer anything different mm-hmm. because you're going to be competing in the same market. Um, so these are just things I've learned over time, but those are the three critical things I feel like I still put into practice today. What may work for the next organization may not work for me. I have to know what my organization needs, what it is, and then I have to apply those practices that fit us and make it work, you know, if I need to tweak it here or there, but make it work for us. Yeah, I, when you when that, that best practice thing made me think of when we do our financial coaching, mm-hmm. there's uh, for personal finance and what we tell people is personal. Mm-hmm. So we're giving you suggestions on what helped us but you need to apply, take that knowledge and mm-hmm. mold it into what fits you and, and, and what's best for you. Because there's there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. There's a lot of ways mm-hmm. to manage your finances. Mm-hmm. One are obviously not good. Some are obviously not good, but some are really good, but may not fit your lifestyle. Yep. And it's, it's important to know that in life, there's not always like, there's certain things that are just principle-based, right? Mm-hmm. But principles but practical practical oh, what's the word practical mm-hmm. practicality mm-hmm. is shaped into what you have been going on in your life mm-hmm. so from a budget standpoint hey figure out what best fits you you like working spreadsheets or do you like an app or do you like you to write it on paper write it on paper mm-hmm. do you want to you know focus on it every single day or once a month or whatever all those kinds of things kind of like you it's like 
I got this information from, from so-and-so, the world renowned, but that right there, part B, that don't fit with me. So mm-hmm. let me just, yeah. you know, yeah. let me shave that off. But it's important also to your point to have a plan. Like you have a plan yes. for that, a personalized yeah. plan. Well, yeah. And then if you don't have a plan, you can't identify what you need to shave off to fit your, mm-hmm. your, exactly. your, your costume. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because even with the budgeting, we have to alter that plan. Initially, you know, people will say, hey, bring your participant to a building every week. I knew right away that's not going to work for single parents because they don't have time. Mm-hmm. The point is we don't have time already, but we need this help. Yeah. So I didn't want to add stress. So I thought, well, we'll just do something virtual once a month with a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. We had a financial advisor for about seven years giving financial advice to our participants. And sometimes they do one-on-one, but we quickly realized that we're kind of recycling the same information mm-hmm. with each group, each new group. And we're not sure we're seeing the growth, but we're not sure how impactful it is with it just being a group presentation. Mm-hmm. And we, so we thought, and we said, you know what, we really need to make this a one-on-one budget training, budget coaching experience where they talk about their individual goals and they're basically tracked and managed through that process individually and that's when we'll see the financial impact mm-hmm. even more so than what we're seeing. Cause we were, we were meeting our goal, mm. but we didn't feel like they were really getting what they needed from mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And at the time we were like, well, how are we going to afford that a budget coach for all of these for, you know, 10 to 12, 15 people. And so we started looking around and we said, well, you know what, we can do our own budget curriculum. Mm-hmm. Just reach out to someone and ask, Hey, let's do a budget curriculum and see if they'll help us with it. And I think that's how we kind of stumbled upon you guys about a budget curriculum. And then we thought, well, you know what? They are pretty much wanting to offer the same thing we really want to do. So why don't we just talk about them doing the budget coaching for our program? Mm -hmm. And it's been successful ever since. I remember that. I remember that shift in the conversation. You were like, why don't you just, you know what, Jason, just, just can you do can y'all do one-on-one so i was like yeah that's what we do because <laughs> i remember that you think things will recall that's like good yeah yeah okay so you you spoke about um you being someone else's success story mm-hmm. give us an example of someone who you know pretty much was you in this situation but they are they're now successful because of what you and your organization has imparted in them or provided for them mm-hmm. So we have so many success stories, which is a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Um, one that comes to mind just recently. So one of our participants from when we first started, I, I would say maybe she came in about two, two, 2012, 2013. And she was young. She was like in her 20s. She had a son, just one child. She was going to school. And at this point, we were still accepting applications from other places. So we had her come from Savannah, actually, mm. we were helping her. The only one that I helped in Savannah. And I remember this because it was so profound. She was so concerned about being a failure for our program because she was struggling so much. Mm. And at the time we still didn't have the operating budget that we have now. So we didn't give $400 every time, you know, to every participant. And so she was getting what we could afford around 250 or so a month. And it was helping her, 
but she struggled academically still because she had a lot of stressors in her life. So mm-hmm. we were trying to kind of maneuver through those. And I remember we were having a peer mentor call. And at the time I didn't have a program director, so I was it. So they had their peer mentor calls with me. And she said, I just want to be a success story for you. And I don't think I'm going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her, I said, you watch, you're going to be the most successful participant we have. And she was like, you really think so? I said, yeah, just watch. I was like, we're just going to work through this. You're going to graduate. You're going to be the most successful participant we have. So fast forward to now, she is a teacher. I think she's gotten her master's degree now. She's married. She has a home and she gives back to the organization. Her income grew, double, tripled. um, And she spoke at a lot of our new program um, holiday dinners and told her story. And she talked about how, you know, I thought I wasn't going to be successful, but, you know, now I have my graduate degree and she's just doing great. You know, um, I just actually spoke to her last week. So I feel like for me, that's one of the most successful ones because she doubted herself, Mm. you know, and I just knew if you stick with me, I'm not going to let you fall. So you gotta, you know, you gotta be better. But I was hoping that she wouldn't prove me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so you was giving her encouragement behind your back you had your fingers crossed I'm stepping out on faith on this one you're gonna be all right <laughs> that's awesome yeah oh so speaking of that let's get into some of the numbers with this uh wallet talks let's talk about their wallets a little bit tell us what is the average savings amount by the time they graduate because well we Tell them what, tell the people what their average is when they start and then what it, when it ends. So usually when people start a program, they don't have savings. Mm-hmm. If they have a saving, it's like $200 or less mm-hmm. uh, most of the time. When they come out of our program, on average, they have about $1,500 saved because of what they go through in the trainings with you all. Or what they've learned, they just learn to put up a lot of the lump sum money that they may receive throughout the program. Um, when we track them, we've learned that the average, as of our last survey, has been 1800 in their accounts. Um, and many of them have higher accounts at 4500 almost working towards their three-month goal, uh, expense goal. And these were people that didn't have any savings or even a savings account before they came in. And now they have six and $8,000 in their savings account. So mm-hmm. once you look at it, it's been a very big success story for us in terms of what they've been able to do financially with their money. That's awesome. And, and what would you say is like the average income of a participant coming in versus when they graduate and now have their first job in, most of, of them are under twenty thousand dollars and it's like how do you live off of twenty thousand mm-hmm. dollars many of them are under twenty thousand dollars because of the reduced hours they have to work when they graduate our average growth has been a twenty five thousand dollar increase in their income so they're making about fifty thousand dollars or more but we see more of a percentage actually over 31 percent on the higher outlier 60,000 plus. Wow. So their income has changed dramatically just mm-hmm. from an education. Mm-hmm. We've only seen a small number range between 30,000 and 40. And it's usually if they're in a particular career field that is hard to get uh, momentum in, 
You know, okay. like if you're in marketing, you have to kind of build yourself up in corporate America and things like that. But it's still not fifteen and eighteen thousand dollars. It's still yeah. thirty and forty thousand where you can kind of grow and build off of it. And they seem to be doing well with that. But on average, they're having a twenty five thousand dollar increase in their income. That's awesome. No, I, I like that um, because, yeah, we we seen them. We seen those zero savings and under 20 the K and I can just imagine someone coming to you and asking for help and feeling hopeless like for real like I can't do this I don't I don't know and so do you do you have you ever had this thought to come to your mind honey child you 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 ain't got enough money you got all these you know you got these kids and why are you trying to get an education? Won't you just get another job and just provide for your kids? Has that ever came across your mind? Or have you heard like or, that type of response from people? Yeah, a lot of organizations that help single parents, especially homeless single parents transition into homes and housing, that's their motto. They don't even want to talk to you about school because you don't have a home. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not be working. Mm-hmm. I've never had that motto because I just knew from my personal experience that and I've known this before kids. I just knew I have to get an education if I want to make a certain amount of money or mm-hmm. if I want to excel and empower myself economically. I just knew that. So it didn't change anything when I got pregnant. You know, I just knew, okay, I really have to do it. So mm-hmm. when the students come to me, they feel a relief because I'm not looking at the outliers because your outliers are circumstantial mm-hmm. and they're subjective. It's not objective because once your credentials change, your ability to self-sell and grow change. And so your outliers change. I just need to get you to from A to B so that that can happen. And that was how I looked at it. Um, And like you said, they come to us pretty hopeless most of the time. I'm used to tears in every interview that I do. And it's almost, I feel almost unconnected because I'm so used to seeing people cry mm-hmm. that I'm kind of just together and, and not emotionally, you know, reacting to them. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it touches me, but I'm used, you know, I'm used to them being, you know, relieved and just crying and saying, oh, this is going to help so much because I know it's going to help them mm-hmm. so much because I can understand where they are, mm-hmm. you know. And I wish I had hope when I was going to school, I could have been in a safer environment, but I was dealing with gunshots and bullets outside every day, <laughs> just to, you know, just to be able to have my children with me. So I, um, I completely understand where they are. And also as I have grown over the years and grown away from being a single parent, things have changed how schools do things and how, you know, companies may do things. So there's some things they experience that I have to learn about as I'm growing the program too, and incorporate those things. So yeah, it's definitely been hard for them, but I've never had the thought that education, why are you thinking about education? Hmm. Because that second job is gonna put more stress on the family, more stress on you, Yeah, you'll have less time and you're still not gonna make enough. Hmm. Because yeah. something's gonna have to give. Yeah, You know, and so I've always known the education to me 
education is the way out. I do know there are, you know, trade schools and certificates and things that you can get and make good money. Like with IT tech, you can get a certificate. You don't have to have a bachelor's degree and make 70,000 plus dollars. So I'm not saying that trade school and diplomas, you know, certificates don't have their place, but it was just my belief that, you know, single parents that want to achieve a college degree, associate's or bachelor's degree, this is what they face. And that's the demographic I want to help. Yeah. As you're helping them, I'm thinking through it like, okay, so can anyone just become a participant in HOPE? Or do you have like a criteria, a regimen, what you're looking for? And yeah. how do you get those people? Like, how do you get um, that, that, that lead on, on a person? We definitely have criteria. So it can't just be any single parent because there are programs that help any single parent. But I'm looking for a demographic that is not always helped because they're considered working poor. So the credential is that you have to be number one, a U.S. citizen, have to be number two, enrolled in an accredited college, either getting an associate or a bachelor's degree. So if you come to me saying I'm getting a certificate in medical assisting, that's great, but I'm not going to accept you into my program because that's not what I'm looking for. If you're getting associates in medical assisting, we can talk, but I'm looking for a college degree student and they have to be enrolled full time because part time you can work full time. Mm-hmm. And you'll be in school for another six or 15 years. And that's not the goal that I'm trying to accomplish. I want you to get done in six years. And mm-hmm. I want you to be full time and I'm supplementing income so that you can have the time you need to do that. Um, they also have to work. So you can't come to me and not have a job. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's PRM part time or full time, but you have to have some income coming in because we supplement income. We don't pay no. all the bills. Mm-hmm. And that just sets our program up for failure if they don't work. So they have to be working. They have to have a 2.7 GPA or higher. And reason being is that if I know you have a 2.7 GPA and you're struggling, can't pay your bills, but your grades are still good, that tells me your determination and, mm-hmm. and how successful you can be with just a little bit of help. Mm-hmm. So we look at that. And of course, the dependents have to be living with the parents. So they can't be living with grandma but I'm a single mom, but I want you to pay my bills and I don't even have my kids. We don't do that. Yeah. Y'all be living at home with the parent. Um, And they don't necessarily just have to be a single mother. You know, nowadays, single fathers have custody of their children too. Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily know what's out there for them. You know, so we really encourage single fathers to apply for our program because we want to help them, especially we definitely want men to finish and complete college degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and be a, be an example to their children. So we have that going for us too as something that is differentiating us in the community. I love it. Um, I was uh, thinking like there has to be a certain mindset that you're looking for and you, mm-hmm. you, you called it out. Mm-hmm. If they can still get decent grades under all those stressors, if you just remove just a little bit of pressure, they'll probably excel even further. So I, I love that. I love that you're... Um, you know, you it, and it and it's also like you you know what your niche is in the sense that, hey, I know you got to have these ingredients inside you, and I, I can't I can't help you unless you want to be helped yourself, mm-hmm. right? I just can't keep pouring into you, and there's nothing, and you're just a hole in the bottom of you, and you're not right. you know getting mm-hmm. there. So uh, I appreciate that you have that. Um, that framework. And some people will be like, well, you're a nonprofit. You're just supposed to help everyone or something like that. It's like, no, well, I want to be a good steward mm-hmm. right. of the funds that you're getting. And this is how I can do that. 
Mm -hmm. Like, and there's enough of us, we're concentrated in Atlanta with many nonprofits. So it's enough of us to help everybody if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. But I really took a replicate of myself. When I thought of the criteria, I thought about what was I like as a single parent. Mm -hmm. My grades were good. I worked. I had drive, determination. My kids lived with me. I had the ability to let my kids live with my mom. She asked me if I needed her to do that. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted my kids with me. Mm-hmm. So I had my kids with me. Um, and so I just kind of wrote down what was I like as a single parent during this time in this snapshot? And is it realistic to expect other people to be like that? Mm-hmm. And then I thought about, well, the CAPS assistance. They're not helping associates and and bachelor degree students, especially if they work over a certain amount of hours. Why not go after those people? Because a lot of the single parents I knew, they were like me. We're in school. You know, they're trying not to drop off. We're trying to figure out how we all going to pay our rent. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. all the same things. So I really just took a replica of myself and I made that the criteria. That's Mm -hmm. awesome. So what advice would you give to someone who was like you or who are like your participants or maybe were at some point at, um, like the participants um, where, you know, they're, they're a single parent, they want to pursue education, but they just don't feel like they can do it. Like the odds are stacked against them. They've, the doors have been slammed in their face. Yeah. What would you advise? Um, you know, I, I'll tell all. Yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell all my single parents and people that I've talked to, friends that, you know, didn't decide to go to school right out of high school because of this type of situation. Um, you can do whatever you put your mind to doing. Mm-hmm. The obstacle is there, but that, that doesn't stop anything. Pregnancy doesn't make you debilitated. You just have to figure out the plan on how to do it. Um, yeah. Most of us as single parents, we didn't know how what kind of mothers we were going to be. You know, we hope we would be good mothers. We didn't know how we were going to finance that baby. We just know we're going to have our baby and we're going to work and it's going to work out. The baby will eat. And all the single mothers that I know, their kids are healthy, strong, thriving, going to school, going to college. So we did something right, but we didn't know how we were going to do it. So I tell people, don't let the obstacles stop you mm-hmm. because there's obstacles in everything. Whether you decide to go to school or not, it's going to be obstacles on the job. It's going to be obstacles in parenting. You know, mm-hmm. life is going to throw you curveballs. It's about how you deal with those curveballs and don't let education or lack of education because of the curveballs be the excuse. Because really what you're doing is making it harder for yourself in the long run. Short term, mm-hmm. you may be able to pick up 80 hours. You may be able to work two or three jobs. But I'm talking about over time. You're going to need that credential. You're going to need that experience um, to help you get to where you want to go. So don't let being a single parent in statistics, that's what I was looking for. I always said I'm not going to be a statistic. So statistics say if I have a, if I have a child that my child will struggle with academically and probably with math because I have a single parent household and I'll probably be poor and there'll be a lack of generational wealth in my family. Statistics say that. Mm -hmm. Statistics may be right in terms of what they are researching and what they see, but that doesn't have to be my income. Mm -hmm. All of my children excel in math and science. They're all going to college or in college right now or have graduated from college. I didn't suffer to the point to where my children didn't have 
when we were living in the projects, they didn't know where they were, but they had everything they needed, you know? And so all the statistics do is show you what could be. It doesn't show you what has to be. Mm-hmm. So I told the parents, don't become a statistic. You know, you're a single parent. That doesn't mean you can't go to college and finish. It doesn't mean that you can't finish on time. It doesn't mean that you can't be financially stable and, and have a future for you and your children. Don't be that statistic. Um, I never have become a statistic. And I guess maybe that has driven me with even the nonprofit. Most nonprofits fail in three years. Mm. I'm not going to fail in three years because I'm not going to be a statistic. I won't figure this thing out and we'll get through these three years. And that's just kind of how I think. Mm-hmm. So I think they have to have that same mindset. And even if they weren't born with it and it's not natural, it could be developed when mm-hmm. people pour into you and continue to be that support system for you. It can be developed. And I think that's what we do with our peer mentor calls and things like that with hope. We pour into them and we give them the confidence. If Even if they lack it, we give them the confidence that they can do this and the example. Yeah, I was... One point I want to pin to uh, pin in and, and talk a little bit more. You said that to become a statistics because statistics um, saying, you know, what could happen. And I want to add in there also statistics are just a result are showing you the results of what did happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that's what's going to happen to you mm-hmm. because right. the only that there's a secret ingredient that can determine whether you're going to be a statistic that replicates what did happen. Mm-hmm is that your own, like you said, your own mindset and your own determination. And we have a saying here on on the podcast, um, change your mind, change your wallet, change your life. So just because it happened to that other person doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. Depends on how you you approach it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, like I said, I'm inspired. You know, I'm just uh, admiring you even more and more through this uh, conversation. Other people who who are feeling the same way I'm feeling, how can they connect with hope? Um, so the best way to connect with hope is through the website, of course. Um, our website is H O P as in Paul, B as in Boy, E as in Alfred.org, helping other people be empowered. Um, you go there, you can connect with us, look at our success stories. If you want to apply, you can apply online. We only accept applications online. You can inquire about things. Um, The FAQ is there to answer some questions for people that want assistance. If they want to donate, same thing, they can go to the website. Um, But we are also very social media savvy. So you can find us on Instagram at Hope Inc. One, or you can find us on Facebook at Helping Other People Be Empowered. Um, And we're on LinkedIn too. Helping Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So you can find us on one of those three things. But if you go to the website, we have the little little circles or icons, they call them, at mm-hmm. the top that'll lead you to our social media as well. Um, but that's pretty much the best way to find us. You search Google. I had one participant say he was looking for help and he got hope. And no. I, that was- <laughs> so he I like that. Put in help and hope came up. Um, so you'll find us in- on Google probably faster than you'll find us anywhere else. I like okay. that. Awesome. And, and with, you know, hope thriving and, you know, um, in a nonprofit space, you know, you, you spoke about not being a st- statistic, the organization and your participants, like, what would you like um, listeners to know about hope in its future and how you're, basically you're not going to be a statistic that, you know, where it shows that, you know, you're not successful. 
Yeah. Where are you going to be in 10 years? So we already have our five-year plan, as you know, drafted. And we're already ahead of schedule. Um, originally, I wanted to grow by 25% in our program year over year. So we have done that with having 25 participants within the program right now. So then I said, well, within three years, I would like to work on a pilot expansion and take hope into another state. Because when I started hope, the vision was always to take it nationwide. It was never just to be an Atlanta organization. I knew that we could take this and replicate it somewhere else because being a single parent and going through these hardships is a systemic thing. It's not mm -hmm. anything that's just localized in Atlanta. So if we do a lot of virtual components, why can't we take it somewhere else? Why would we need a, a physical building to expand? Um, and so at first I thought it was something long, long way off. Then I started looking at the growth and we started doubling in our revenue last three years. I'm like, you know what? We can pilot this somewhere. So let's start researching. And at first my board and my team are looking at me kind of crazy like what? I'm like, listen, the cost is not going to change whether we're in Atlanta or California in terms of what we offer. We offer $400 a month. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't change for us. Mm -hmm. So what will hold us back? So now we've researched top 10 cities with single parents in the need and have the college, um, college students, universities to support it. And we came up with a new place. So we are piloting in another state and we're getting ready to announce it soon. But we got our um, approval from the college Mm. and they are eager to start and we're starting actually this fall accepting those five we want to start with five students just see how it works what kinks we need to work out so we're expanding the organization so in five years i'll see us still expanding and i want to do it slow just like i'm doing just like we did hope start with a certain number see how it works continue to grow it build a successful track record then let's go to another state then let's go to another state. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to expand it that way. And after Hope has gotten everywhere in the United States, then I can see what else, you know, I want to do. But right now, <laughs> I just want to take it from Atlanta to other areas where single parents need us and make a difference everywhere. Wow. So we're going to duplicate Hope. We're going to duplicate, um, it sounds like, people can duplicate your efforts too. I, I know you um, recently started um, a business. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that as well and how um, they can connect with you if they want to learn more from you? Wait, wait, wait. Kenita, you got time for another business? <laughs> so this is this thing. <laughs> I never, I, okay, so I hadn't really started another business. What ended up happening was when people found out that I did my nonprofit paperwork, Everybody wanted me to do their nonprofit paperwork. Mm. Oh, I want to start a nonprofit. Can you do mine? So I started helping people here and there, friends and family that were starting nonprofits. And it kind of became something. Um, over the years, we've helped, I've helped about 40 organizations start, get their 501c3, 100% success rate, and help them, you know, figure out how to run their organization. And I actually started turning people away because, like you said, I don't have time. I'm, mm have a thriving organization, but people don't take no for an answer. So then I started saying, <laughs> like you, did it. Okay, you know, how can I do this? Um, so I said, okay, you know what? At first it took me a while to realize that people want to hear what I have to say, mm -hmm. because I'm still thinking I'm in the learning process. 
-hmm. But now as I'm having conversations, you know, people, oh, you should, you should put this in um, an e-course or you should charge more for these consultations because this is rich and this and that. So anyway, I, I did two e-books, one called How I Started My Nonprofit from the Ground Up and the other, um, Are You Grant Ready? Because these are the questions I kept getting. And I said, you know what? I'm having a baby, which was my two-year-old now. I'm going to put these e-books out and give them to people and they'll be satisfied and I can just keep doing what I'm doing. They went out, people bought those, and now they're like, oh, can you talk to us about getting grant ready? Can you talk to us about doing grants? Can you talk to us about fundraising? And um, one of my consultants actually asked me if I would become a coach on her team to mm -hmm. help coach some of her new startups. And as I'm like, okay, you know, as I'm building that and I'm taking some of the calls, she's getting all this feedback and people are like, you need to send all these five clients to her and this is what you needed here. And so they're getting a lot of feedback about the coaching and I'm still sitting here thinking people want to hear what I have to say, mm. <laughs> you know, like imposter what? Syndrome. Yeah, the imposter yeah, syndrome. Yeah, they want yeah. to hear what I have to say. So I said, okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to duplicate this whole process. I'll have my eBooks. I'll have e-courses on the eBooks so I can provide that. And then I'll do some consulting on the side for those that are starting up and they are serious about it. I'll consult on the side. So it's kind of been always in the background. Mm -hmm. I've just not really promoted it. I've only done by referral basis. Okay. But now since it's getting out to more people, I'll do a little bit more promoting and things of that nature. Um, so it's called Starting My Nonprofit. The website is startingmynonprofit.com. So if you want to start a new nonprofit, if you just want information about it, if you want to get the filing done for the 1023, or if you want to find out about getting grant ready, you can go there, you can book a consultation, fill out the form, and we'll talk about you know, the process. I do not write grants for other people though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is one thing I will not do. I can do it. And I've, and I've had one organization that I've written for. Um, yeah. I've written for them until the end of this year. Then I'm like, listen, I'm having another baby. Can't do it. <laughs> but that's the only thing I won't do right now because it's too time consuming. And I write so many grants for hope. And lots of times people aren't ready. Mm. So I want to focus on getting you ready. And then possibly later on down the line, we can have a conversation about grant writing and things like that. But I will not. I refuse. I don't care how much money they offer me. I refuse to write grants for people because mm. it's that tedious, especially when you don't have it together. So mm. I just focus on the foundation for right now and then, you know, move forward. But it's really just a side, become a side hustle, but not necessarily one I was trying to do. Mm. <laughs> it just kind of happened. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's helped a lot of people. I just thank you for your uh, willing to pour out and back into the community. I mean, it's definitely got uh, return right now. You're, you're seeing the benefits of it, but it's also going to be internal. So mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate you for, for doing that and even continue to pour yourself out to these other side businesses. And I think that's, I'm going to get a little spiritual. I think that's what God says about, you know, living life abundantly where mm -hmm. your life is overflowing and everything that comes out of you is a blessing. You know, mm -hmm. it's a, every seed that you sow bears, you know, really great fruit. Mm -hmm. So uh, thank you for being that example. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I definitely agree. And actually it was the Holy Spirit that kind of led me that way. Cause I was, you know, not trying to hear it. And, um, 
someone in ministry came up to me and we ministered together and she was like, you know, Holy Spirit is showing me that he's going to give you two other streams streams of income and you Mm -hmm. need to pursue it. (laughs) And I was like, what? And she was like, you're going to be doing more digital things Mm -hmm. and God is in it. So pursue it. You know, you're turning it down, but God is in it. And I said, okay. And I was having my own kind of revelations, but I was kind of like rebuking the Lord, you know? Yeah. No, that's <laughs> too much. <laughs> you said abundant. I don't want abundant. You said you would put more on me than right. I could bear. Right. <laughs> right. So it kind of, as soon as, you know, that confirmation came, it seemed like more and more doors started opening around that area. So I knew enough to know, you know, let me go with God because mm-hmm. Last time I did, well, actually, let me just say this tidbit. When I first heard about starting this organization, the Holy Spirit told me not to return to my job. I was on leave. Mm -hmm. And he said, don't return to your job. It's time for you to start the ministry. And I said, no, Lord, because, you know, my husband had just got to working. He had been out of work for 18 months. And I told you he had cancer and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm like trying to tell my husband that I'm not supposed to go back to work that's not gonna work right Mm -hmm. and so he said well you know i know you're supposed to do this but let's just make an exit plan for six months Mm -hmm. but you go back to work make an exit plan we talked to our pastor but the holy spirit was not telling me that he was telling me very verbatim not to go back i went back to work on a monday they they had merged while i was gone i got fired on a friday i have never been fired a day in my life and it was like a whole conspiracy around it too. Wow. So it was a lot of betrayal and hurt for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, why did you let this happen? And he said, I told you not to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh. so I started the organization. <laughs> and I'll tell you, every time I got a job offer, one time I went to an interview, they paid me double what I was making at the other job. And I had accepted I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going back to work. And I'll just do hope on the side. When I showed up for work, the doors were closed. They had closed. So every door that opened for me, God let the doors close. Like, listen, you're going to do hope or Mm -hmm. or we're not doing nothing. So I had to figure it out. And I didn't pay myself from hope for three years. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out how was I going to have some income. And the income was helping other people start their 501c3s. And I ended up making enough doing that to cover the bills. Mm. But yeah, so I learned the hard way to listen to God. And he physically (laughs) closed the doors in front of you like, what you mean? I can't go. Yeah. Yeah. It was very evident that I was not supposed to do anything else but hope. It was almost like that, like Jonah thing like you're trying to avoid preaching like no i'm not going like okay i'm gonna swallow you up and put you where you're supposed to be <laughs> i'm curious to, to understand how people um wrestle with with the holy spirit so when you said that you went through you, you described it as you went to mm-hmm. a council talked to your pastor and you still felt like okay we're gonna exit plan but we can still do this way this way what was the time period between that like was it like you was mulling over this for like six months six weeks six days what was it it was very quick because um, for me, I was supposed to return back to work that, so it was like two weeks before I was supposed to go back to work that I was having this conversation mm. with my husband. I had heard very clearly not to go back. Very clearly not to go back. It was very clear to me. Mm. Um, 
So as we're having these conversations over this over the two week period, I'm still hearing, no, that's not what I'm asking you to do. No, that's not what I'm asking you to do. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, you know, the Bible tells me to listen to my husband too, though. Mm-hmm. So yes. I'm like, you know, maybe he'll tell you, he'll tell him, and it'll work out, and I won't be being disobedient. That's a good one. Um, but so that whole thing was immediate. That that wow. situation was very immediate for me. Now there's been other times where, you know, it's been a struggle, you know, having these kids. I remarried, my late husband passed away, you know, with bladder cancer, and my current husband didn't have any children. I was of the mindset that I was done. Mm-hmm. So when um, I tried to do some permanent actions <laughs> to keep myself from getting pregnant, <laughs> the Holy Spirit told me three times no. Three mm-hmm. times, no, don't do it. And I said, why? He said, because it's still fruit in your womb. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not having no more kids. You know, mm-hmm. my husband, my late husband's gone. I'm not having no kids. So now I meet my current husband. He doesn't have children. And I realized right away why the Lord spared me mm-hmm. and allowed me to still be fruitful. And as soon as we married, we've had these two children. I have a wonderful two-year-old who I can't see my life without now. And then we have the one on the way now. But I was done you know, all them years ago, and I was trying to do some permanent stuff, and mm-hmm. the Lord was like, no, and I fought him, and fought him, and fought him, and I kept fighting him, even through when I was dating my current husband, I fought him, and the Holy Spirit kept saying, no, this is your husband, and you're gonna have more children, and I was like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that is not part of the plan. <laughs> not doing it, you know, so I've, I've definitely learned to just shut up, and keep it moving when it comes to what God has for you to do, because it's Ultimately, it's for your good and it's better mm-hmm. um, than what I could imagine. And I thought I would be crazy starting over with new children, but I am ecstatic about my little two-year-old. That's like my best buddy. Aww. And so I'm looking forward to the new baby. And I mean, I, I just like, I could have missed this. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. thinking of my own self, I could have missed this. Mm-hmm. So I would have missed out greatly. So I'm very happy that, you know, I wrestled with the Holy Spirit and he won. Yeah. <laughs> As we always listen. Yeah, I, I hope you people I hope people are out here listening to this and using an example because um when you said that I was like, oh, yeah, there's some things I think I've heard that and you just gonna close the door. And it's like when you said, Lord, wow, I'm going through all this pain and anguish and they they fired me, they betrayed me. It's like, well, that's why I told you not to go mm-hmm. because I was protecting you. We thought it was denial, but it was really was protection. Mm-hmm. That's all I was trying to get at. Mm-hmm. So, um, wow. Well, thank you so, so much again for, for coming on the show. Uh, we'll love to have you back again anytime if you want to have any new Absolutely. initiatives. I enjoyed it. It's been yes. great conversation. Yes, yes. Um, how do you want to close out, Tiff? Just close it out. Just close it out. <laughs> All right. Well, this is what we do. We just banter back and forth. Anyway, so family, you heard it here. Kanina Smith, an amazing story. <sighs> Overcoming, uh, just building an organization from the ground up and inspiring other people and even now pouring into other people, not just with her program, but with her uh, offside hustles and things like that, and even to her family. So it's not impossible to have a dream and have it manifest itself. You just have to have the right mindset. And like we say on this court, uh, on this podcast, you change your mind, you change your wallet, you change your life. So don't be scared. 
take the leap. So this is Jason and Tiffany with Walla Talks signing out. Peace.